How you guys doing? You guys good? I'm good. I'm good. I it's Memorial Day. Yeah, yeah, how about that? So I went for a walk outside today, and I'd say that 80% of the people are not wearing masks, but that's in northern Brooklyn <laughs> and Greenpoint <laughs> and Williamsburg. Oh. Um, and then there was one guy who had on a full like snake eyes from G.I. Joe, uh like gas mask. <laughs> Um, ski mask with like nozzles on the sides and he was walking through the park holding a sign that said uh you know just with the number of people dead saying put your mask on and everyone just kind of like laughed at him so there's that there's that cool yeah Uh, (laughs) super cool but you know uh, (laughs) uh, what are you gonna do man i mean i don't think people are gonna start People have to feel someone in their immediate life getting coronavirus to put the masks back on. I've lived in Williamsburg yeah. for almost a year, and I think that it is the most brunch neighborhood in New York City. Like, it, it is brunch. New York, Williamsburg is brunch. Like, I mean, I, obviously there's neighborhoods like, you know, like the Upper West Side that are very brunch-like, but Williamsburg is just such... Just like Mwah, brunch, and that it that that energy really reminds me. We're just like someone shows up and is like you're killing people, and everyone's like we're at brunch. Fuck you, you know. Like it just <laughs> it just feels it's nice. Yeah, nice yeah. There is a uh, like I said, you know. I mean, it was a lot of beautiful people not wearing masks, like you know, mm-hmm. just playing playing well, playing soccer in the in the on the field. Hacky hack hacky sack stuff. Yeah. Um, the hot new look these days is not not wearing a mask, but doing something like this. You people can't see this, but just sort of like putting it uh. just <laughs> below mm. your actual mouth. So it's sort of like a totem to your ineffectiveness. <laughs> yeah, it was, there were chin strap masks, definitely. But yeah. uh, no, I wouldn't say that people didn't own masks. They were just wearing them like handkerchiefs on their ankles or arms. Not Come on. covering their faces. What do you guys think of that performance art lady? That really the um very skinny white lady <laughs> who like has those medical masks all over her body except for her mouth. Wait, what? What? I never saw that. What is that? That's great. So, so there's this performance artist lady who like walks around like targets naked, and except she's got medical masks like strapped in such a way that it, they're like shaped like a bikini, and they're covering up her her little boobies and. They're like on her arms, like little bandanas, and but they're not not around her mouth or nose. Yeah, I thought that she was. I thought she wasn't. Uh, I didn't know she was a performance art lady. She seemed like somebody Fox News would pay. I thought. I thought like Maria Abramovich just wanted a nice walk outside or something like that. I don't know who paid her, but that's not to say that she's not doing something that is expressing themselves and so that they could be a <laughs> performance artist for evil i when you were talking about uh the guy with the the gi joe thing uh walking around like the mccarran park area 
the first thing that popped in my head is just somebody dressed up like Scorpion, uh, ripping people's heads off when they're not uh, wearing masks or reptile or the other guy. Yeah, no, he definitely was like a virtue signaling Mortal Kombat character. Like if, if a Mortal Kombat character like uh, like uh, like made love to a free hugs guy from uh, Union yeah. Square, it would have been this guy. Get over here. Finish him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Finish him, and then he slowly dies of coronavirus over the course of two weeks. <laughs> yeah, finish him, and then he sends him like a petition. Yeah, so you guys, uh, yeah, <laughs> you guys ready for wave two, boys? Ready for the second wave? <laughs> uh, Dude, I, I, you know, I, I've been out in the streets per usual doing delivering, and all I can say, my the only the the point at my that I am at right now in terms of just sort of like comfortability is just sort of like, man, I just hope everybody in New York already got it. Because whatever's gonna happen is just sort of like whatever's gonna happen. I just got a like test. It's I, I, just, I tested negative, actually. Uh, oh, I'm a boy. yeah, a, a sweet nice. little unblemished lamb. Yeah, yeah, that, and and in that way, people in that sense, I'm kind of like the Virgin Mary, and and among many other ways. Um, you're like uh, you're like a pair of shoes still in the box. <laughs> I'm like I'm like those I'm like those little baby shoes that never got worn, you know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, that's uh oh. Uh, there's every once in a while a comic comes up with a, a a joke that's like that the for sale baby shoes. Um, oh, my friend Steven, hack? he came up. Are you are you calling me? Hack yeah, he, yeah. No, 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 no. Somebody will come up with it, and, and he came up with it where it's just sort of like. Instead of force sale baby shoes never worn, he did um for sale baby shoes feet included, <laughs> which I very, I very much appreciated. That that was, that was always that would crack me up all the what time. If, Shout if, out, Stephen. What if you said uh baby included? Then you'd get a baby, that a nice little baby. Wouldn't that be sweet? I fucking hate babies, man. They, 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 all they do is all they do is shit and like die if you don't take care of them. If a baby showed up on my uh, doorstep and it was wearing nothing but shoes, I would be my I'd roll my <laughs> eyes. I'd be like, "What? I've, now I've got to adopt this hype beast." <laughs> yeah. Just like a fucking performance this, artist, man. Put a mask on. This baby came up to me in fucking Deadstock, Kanye, Nike, Yeezys before he moved to Adidas. And I was like, what's going on here? Oh, yeah. Fucking baby. So, uh, guys, what, how's everybody feeling then? You know, I told you a little bit about this. I walked around outside and saw people with no masks on. Yeah. I'm okay. I'm low energy right now. We, um, I don't know. It's just like I went driving today. Driving around Manhattan was really, really fun. Though, sure. Was it like Why? I Am Legend? Yeah, it's like straight up. We're like listening to reggaeton and like driving on the Queensboro Bridge and then like through Central Park, and it was fun as shit. I I think it made me tired. That's how much fun it was. I'm, I'm like I'm like zonked from from racing. It was cool. Why did you Why did you drive a car into Manhattan? Even even in uh in, in like it's not very busy time. Like what what. What demon possessed you to fucking bring a vehicle into the borough of Manhattan? Ugh. I shouldn't have. What were you doing? What were you- I shouldn't have brought up a car to Danny Feltz of all people. Oh, the, the hater of the like, automotive vehicle. 
it costs doesn't it cost money just to bring a fucking car into manhattan uh, isn't it like south of a certain street or something like that or um we were just oh is oh is that the rules we were just stopping by in an apart we were just stopping by uh someone's apartment to pick up some nice mugs um and we didn't want to take the subway, oh. so hmm. that was it uh dude the subway the subway's still great though you can like i swear to god i took the l train from union square to my place the other day at 5 30 p.m and there were four people <laughs> in the damn car so is the l fully operational right now is it like open and cool there's no weekend schedule or anything there might be a, a weekend thing. I think they are doing something, but uh, it's still functional. I will also say, David, as far as congestion goes, and this is my personal opinion as a cyclist, I think things are sort of getting a little bit more back to normal, mm. I would say, for everybody who doesn't live in New York, because I was delivering on Friday. And even though it was the beginning of Memorial Day weekend, there were uh, a lot of cars on the road, uh, a lot more like it was before um you know you, I, I wasn't able to be as crazy just you know moving and grooving and everywhere so i would i would say it's actually i would say we're back up to medium at this point Ooh. yeah were the cars wearing masks no <laughs> uh the car the the uh the the cars weren't wearing masks but that's another that's another area where people do this thing they they have the chins they have the chin strap um <laughs> Where people they'll keep the mask like this inside their car. I would say if you're in your car, you don't have to wear a mask. Yeah, you can take it off. Yeah, when you're in the damn car. Yeah, you know? yeah. The mask is mostly to protect the Adam's apple when you're driving. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Little seatbelt. Yeah, for just your just neck. in case. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but but also but also it was the beginning of the Memorial Day weekend, so that's like on a, that's like an intensely busy time, regardless of a pandemic or not. So it's hard to say exactly how accurate that was, you know. So what we want to do is is uh is sort of forecast a bump in infections coming uh, about ten to fourteen days from now. You're thinking so? That would be yeah, yeah. That that could be possible. Yeah, there's a lot of people like at the lakes in the Ozarks in Missouri, just like bumping Lizzo and coughing into each other's mouths. That was. Do you guys saw that? You got. Oh my god! It's like. Oh man! I think it's well, important see, to clarify that that was disgusting, like coronavirus, like without, yeah. with or without. Like that's it. Like we should all recognize that that was a hideous scene. Just a lot of pink bodies. A lot at, of yeah. swimming up to uh to uh bars inside the swimming pools. Just, yeah, just vile. Yeah, no porta yeah, potties just... anywhere in sight. And you just don't respect. No, any no, of no, people. no. No, you're just getting pruny toes in this hepatitis broth. <laughs> yeah, it, see, see, that's the thing though, and this is what I'm talking about. Like, I, I, I really hope this is the case. I think New York is over the big hump, and now you're. I think you will see spikes, but I think it's going to be outside of places that were hit hardest first. So you're going to see I think you're going to see spikes out in like the Midwest and um the and parts of the Rust Belt and stuff but like honestly I think New York, Seattle, uh maybe parts of, you Seattle's know, doing California. Good, Seattle's in a good place. Like. Oh yeah. Yeah, like I I think I think like, you know, by virtue of so many people being already exposed to it and and what have you, it just sort of having a different way that they dealt with it i mean like there's all these videos of people being shamed into not wearing masks and like certainly you guys are very familiar like when you go outside in new york city it's just sort of like yeah most most like 
on the streets anyway, maybe not in the parks. People are wide, widely still at least sort of trying to wear a mask. But like I haven't heard of that necessarily in Ohio or like Missouri, for example. So, yeah. Oh yeah. My beautiful home state. So what's on the docket today, guys? Is there do we have like a tasty little tapas of uh, true crime? Do we have some somebody doing something uh, unsavory with someone else's money? Uh, so yes, uh, today is a good one, guys. We we want to stick to the good fun stuff. Um, this is uh, Leonard Davis, a former NFL player, reached a settlement against their former finance. Uh, him and his wife reached a settlement against their former financial advisor. Um, for the financial advisor, basically got this a former offensive lineman who played for the Arizona Cardinals, Dallas Cowboys, Detroit Lions, and the San Francisco 49ers to invest $15 million in Smashburger. And he <laughs> lost... Well, I played Smash Brothers, Super Smash Brothers. What is Smash That's Burger? what I heard. That's, that's what I heard for a second. I was like, that's a good investment. Um, he, they lost so much money from this. Uh, wait, 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 wait. Don't tell. Do you have the number in front of you? Can I guess what, how much money they lost? Oh, let me let me see if I can find it. Yeah, yeah, I can. I, I have it. I have it here. Oh, okay. okay. I'm going to guess they lost $14 million out of their 15. Okay, the, 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 the $15 million is actually um, in one, just one segment of the allegations of all the money oh, that no. they're alleging that they lost. <laughs> uh, so... Higher than fifteen is what they're alleging. No, yeah. uh, that's uh, like okay, thirty, thirty million, thirty. Keep, keep going, baby. Keep going. Thirty. Oh God. Uh, I'm gonna go get another fifteen. Forty-five million dollars. No, this idiot. <laughs> no. Uh, uh, let's go another fifteen. Sixty million dollars. Getting closer, but keep going. Sixty-three. No, not that. Don't do that. Don't, 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 don't go by threes from now. I'm going to tell you, $70 million. This is not a fun game anymore. Um, <laughs> they, 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 alleged, uh, uh, so they alleged that this guy, uh, Ty Williams, their former broker-dealer at Next Financial and the former law and accounting firms, they alleged, helped, they alleged to have helped drain away $70 million that Davis earned in NFL paychecks. That's heartbreaking. Dude. Dude, that's like got to be all of his money, right? <laughs> so much money. It's crazy. God. Yeah. Dude, he he fucking got CTE for what? Like <laughs> to to lose it all? So oh was God. it the Smash Bro is it did Smash Burgers is it just like the worst food that you can imagine? Is it just spam between two hamburger <laughs> buns? What is happening mm -hmm. that he would invest in this company and it would just tank like that? Um they alleged that that these his law firms, his accountants, and his financial advisors got him to invest fifteen million dollars in Smash Burgers. Those investments began creating huge losses for the Davises, but they kept paying management and professional services fees to the advisor, the lawyers, their accountants, and their firms. And then there was these other advantages. And then on top of that, they were getting compensation and benefits from the Smash Burger venture. The pair. Uh, allegedly benefited from 20% of the profits from one of the restaurants, 15% from four others, a $1,000 car allowance for the advisor, 
Healthcare coverage, bonuses, consulting fees with no support contracts, and personal expense reimbursements. I mean, this this is just swindling. Like, there, there's no other. And, it, <laughs> and oh, listen to this. And personal expense reimbursements, including money for Williams and his wife's 2010 Valentine's Day escape package at the Ritz Carlton Hotel in Dallas. Uh. In Dallas, Texas. Oh, oh. I mean, that's that just the, that's horrible. in the writer, though. Everybody gets to have a like a like a getaway to Dallas. That's one of the most <laughs> erotic cities in North America. <laughs> <laughs> this city is fucking wet. Yeah, <laughs> you if cannot... you can't make it to Dallas, you go to Dallas BBQ and you get those frozen marks. Actually, yeah, Debbie does Dallas was um, kind of a a. a kind of like the civil rights movement for Dallas sex scene, you know, just like it was really a trailblazer in making people feel the eroticism of Dallas. That is <laughs> yeah. this was the first thing it was. Debbie was the first sex icon of Dallas. And if you, and if you don't, you don't feel that raw erotic power, just go to Fort Worth. That's a dry city right there. <laughs> uh, yeah, man. So they just settled. So that's good. That's good news. You know, I'm happy to hear. I, I like to hear some of these small, like, little petty crimes. I think this is beautiful. This is what it makes. This is, this is what makes America great is just petty fraud. Uh, but clearly, Leonard Davis, uh, a, a hero in the minds of all three of us. We're all big football fans, especially we're really big fans of the Arizona Cardinals, all three of us. And so it's important for us to kind of get this guy to have his peace. And I think he's going to get it. And... You know, big ups. Big do ups. you do you know if he like went to a Shake Shack one time and was like, "Oh, I really love Smash Burgers," and then that just did that, or was he passionate about the the hamburger? Like, what? Why? Did, is there any information? I think what happened was this guy was investing in Smash Burger franchises, saw that he had a rich client, and said, "I'm gonna get this guy to be an investor in my Smash Burger franchise." And then the Smashburger franchise cratered and uh, Davis lost all his money. Uh, the, the football player lost all his money. Dude, okay, you know what? I don't have any sympathy for this guy anymore, all right? Because I know this fucker like, came up to him and was like, Davis, buddy, my man, all right, I got a fucking investment opportunity for you today. You're going to make <laughs> twice the amount of money that you normally would. Uh, blah, 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 Danny blah. Is dancing and, right and like, now. I just want everyone to know he's dancing in his yeah, while yeah. he's doing this, this imitation. Okay. I'm just... <laughs> I'm just doing like, all right, you're going to make all this money. Yeah. And like the guy was like, all right, all right, whatever. Uh, you know, and he just, he probably just passively aggressive, uh, uh, invested in it. But like, if he like genuinely was like, dude, if there's one thing I love, it is like a classic SoCal smash burger, you know, mm. you know, in my mouth. I love it. If he like invested <laughs> with his heart, I would be more sympathetic. But like, it really just sounds like this guy was like. I'm fucking crooked as hell. Believe me. And then just, he was like, all right. And then he lost $70 million. I mean, I mean, yeah. it's just so much because uh, I want to see the, you know, the in-betweens. Like we need, oh, by the way, we just need three more, three more million. And then we're going to recoup. Yeah. I mean, obviously when you first invest in something, there's going to be a, it's a, it's a U shaped curve. Okay. You're going to see a big drop and then it's going to flatten out, but then we're going to pull out of this tailspin, buddy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Five more million. Exactly. It's like, it's like podcast listenership. 
this guy's this guy's got to take a he's got to take a a note out of the shack handbook and only sponsor slash invest in things that he actually likes uh which means that shack likes uh the general insurance as well (laughs) as which true he does he does that as well as epson ink refiller cartridges and uh shaquille o'neal he's endorsed a couple things they're all very odd but like he he goes on their commercials and and just like yeah i like your stuff and i will actually do a commercial for you um i mean you could also you know what is a good way to invest in things that you like buying those things as a customer just a thought. Like you, <laughs> you could just go buy yeah. a Shake Shack burger or a Smash burger all the time whenever you wanted to, and you're not going to lose $70 million from it. Um, yeah, and you're going to get a burger. Yeah, man. Like you get the thing you want. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I like, I just like the idea of someone being like, you know, I really want to open up my own restaurant because I just want to be able to go in there whenever I want and get whatever I want. And it's like, okay, you could also just, just go to that restaurant. And do that. Yeah, yeah. Like Why do we have be to? A customer. Like, <laughs> yeah. I'm very proud of my investment, and I think it will uh, create some serious dividends in the future. <laughs> By dividends, I mean burps. Oh, yum! So good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Moving on. I no, I do. I feel a little bit bad for him. I mean, who knows what this guy's, uh, you know, condition is? Um, you know, but I. I he might have CTE. He may he may have fucked up his body, and this guy's a, a gladiator, and then he uh, he gets totally ruined like this off, based off some. Actually, Smash Burgers are pretty good, honestly. That I think that's the 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 most poisonous thing of all. Is that a Smash Burger? I don't know if you guys have had them before, but they're actually quite good. No, yeah. I've never I've never even heard of it before this, honestly. And I know I looked it up. There's a couple in New York City, but at first I thought. What is Smashburger? It just sounds like a company whose mascots are crash test dummies. <laughs> Boys. No, uh, G- Gabe, a Smashburger is basically what Shake Shack is. Like the burgers that they're serving at Shake Shack is the concept of a Smashburger. That's like the bun at Smashburger. Do they toast the bun? They toast the All bun. I know is that the bur- the burger, instead of being like a Wendy's where it's like very manicured and like the sides are like completely square and everything like that. A smash burger is literally when you take the the ground beef wait, wait, wait. and you kind of like you sort of smash it so it comes off it like it splinters. Were you saying that Wendy's was side. manicured because Wendy is a woman? Is that why you were saying that, Danny? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh, no, I'm saying that because Wendy comes in and she specifically like she like paints the burgers uh, oh, yeah. and yeah, and like nail and, polish. Wow. That's pretty messed up. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I know. Like, they are they are square, which is a weird thing about the Wendy's burger. Um, I liked my Smash Burger. That was the whole story that I was trying to say. I liked it when I had it. I also have not had it since the first time I had it, which was almost ten years ago. The uh, rough around the edges quality of the patty does give me an idea that it, that it's maybe a, a, the authentic person's hamburger. <laughs> yeah, buddy, you're taking that burger. You're taking that ground beef, and you're just smashing it you're not you're not making it pretty like you know uh pushing it up against the sides and everything you're, you're just every like that and every patty is a unique sl- snowflake mm-hmm. it's it is it is it is it is <laughs> it also All kind right. of reminds yeah <laughs> it also kind of reminds hey. me of like <laughs> 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 all right boys the burgers we never had before uh <laughs> 
What else we got at the docket? Uh, dating is weird, right? <laughs> like, uh, uh, okay. Uh, next thing, let's move on. Uh, the United States is going to file an antitrust lawsuit against Google. Yes, uh, finally. <laughs> Woo. Sick. Um, Are we optimistic about this? Nah. <laughs> no. Um, so, uh, antitrust in the tech sector is well, just all of antitrust in the United States kind of sucks. Uh, none of it's very good. Uh, but it's good that Google is getting at least something, right? Like it's 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 a thing. It's 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 like you know, cash for clunkers under the Obama administration. Okay, it's nothing, but it's something. It is a thing. It is a tiny little pittance thrown in the right direction, right? Yeah, it's like you got you got to start somewhere. Um but uh do you it's uh yeah, so the um, who is filing this suit against uh I guess it would be Alphabet. They it's not even Google. It's, you know, like that's their actual parent company is that's Alphabet. Right. That's right. So they are um, it is filed by the Justice Department and the State Attorneys General. Uh, so that so th so so if you guys remember, um, there are three different groups that have authority over antitrust: the De United States Department of Justice, the Federal Trade Commission, and every single state attorney general in the country. That's right. Yes. Yes. So. It looks like this is a um, usually what happens is, I mean, a, a state attorney general, if they are cool, they can file an antitrust lawsuit on their own. But usually what they end up doing is just like joining up and teaming up with the Justice Department or the Federal Trade Commission and the Federal Trade Commission and the Justice Department basically have like split the economy in half between the two of them. So like the Federal Trade Commission will regulate agriculture or something like that. And the Justice Department regulates tech and Justice Department regulates finance and the Trade Commission develop, regulates Gabe's family or whatever. You know, like just whatever you want. I don't yeah. know. I just, yeah. I'm sorry. I need a joke there. I mean, you know, no sometimes context the, there. I don't the, know. The, you know, these things can be entertaining and informative without personal attacks on our bloodlines. <laughs> <laughs> look, Gabe, look, Gabe, they, they, they got it. They got a, they got the, they got a firm, firm line on your family. <laughs> they got to be regulated. <laughs> They don't want it. They're too big to fail. All right, man. <laughs> your family, your dad is too big to fail. Oligopoly. You guys are an oligopoly over Washington, D.C. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Though. Uh, a family that's too big to fail. <laughs> the Waltons. Uh, uh, um, so they wait. are. They, yeah, very, very much so. Um, so wait. So which attorney? So, OK, so it led was by Texas Department of Justice? Attorney General. Led by led Texas. By Texas Attorney General. Ken Paxton. Really? Uh -huh. Really? I like uh -huh. that. That's very interesting. Huh. Uh, I mean, hmm. so they basically, they got a little return. They request it for information. This is like all sorts. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, I'm surprised that it was Texas, honestly. But I guess they don't have a lot of money in Texas, so Texas can go after them, right? Like, if it were oil, then the Texas Attorney General probably wouldn't go after, which is like, the most ironic thing about it is what you're supposed to do and why all the states have antitrust authority is if your state is experiencing too much monopoly in its one economy, then the state yeah. attorney general has unilateral authority to file an antitrust lawsuit. 
right? So like if there is only one hospital in the entire state of Alabama because all the hospitals got bought by Gabe Pacheco's family, then you all of a sudden <laughs> yes. have to uh, then then the then the attorney general for the state of Alabama could file an antitrust lawsuit against uh, Pacheco Hospitals, you know, and break. Yeah, break the ro- the roll tide, roll tide v Gabe. Uh, <laughs> that's right. So, I feel my family again being attacked for having a monopoly on hospitals. Yeah, it, specifically in Alabama. <laughs> so, um, so it, it alleges that uh, basically they're discussing different options. They started this investigation last year. Uh, a lot of the stuff that they're looking at is the fact that Google captures roughly one third of every dollar spent in online advertising. Wow, that is a third. Uh, what do you, do you have any other statistics? I feel like Facebook probably captures like what an eighth or something like that. I do not see that. Uh, it has uh, its search engine is considered the on ramp to the internet and controls what information users see. While the company owns many of the critical tools and technologies used to advertise online, it also boasts seven yeah. businesses with more than one billion users. Yeah, so the only place I search for things is uh, through Google to buy something, or uh, the and then the only other place that people could possibly sell me a product is through my Instagram stories. And the only thing that's advertised to me through my Instagram stories are drop crotch harem pants, as though that's (laughs) what I want to wear. Wait, wait, oh, oh! I already have two pair of Ty Fisherman (laughs) pants. I don't need a third. Wait, wait. This is really okay. No, you. We all use Instagram, right, Gabe? I know, I know you do. But David, yeah. do you use Instagram? V- thinly, thinly. Okay, so Gabe, you're you've actually gotten advertisements for these pants. Yes, exclude. That's all I get is uh, those pants. They that's what they think I want to wear, and they think I need a ring light for uh, YouTube. They think they want to read like, dude. Yes. I I get advertised. I get here's what I get advertised. I get advertised woodworking stuff, which is <laughs> they true. They know I, you, right? Right. I cool. like I like I like woodworking, but I also and then I also get advertised like weird little things you might put on a cell phone, like a telephoto lens adapter or like a fucking utility blade or something. Yeah, so like, I, I get like they're sick. like my man likes uh like Swiss Army knives and scrimshaw. Yeah, like you yeah. Just, yeah. <laughs> Like whittling whale bones and uh, <laughs> and putting new tools like laser beams on your phone. Yeah, I also sometimes I'll get an advertisement for like a patch that you would put onto a musical MIDI instrument, where it's like this is the, this best, is the best delay, delay that you could put, put on your, on your keyboard, keyboard. Or blah blah. Or this is a really cool thing. Um, that's fun. I but I've never gotten uh those type those tie sailing <laughs> sailing pants before. Uh, that's very yes. fu- that's very fun. Yeah, I wonder if they just scan my selfies, I guess, and they've seen me wear them once, and that's they it. S- they they have it, they uh, <laughs> they look at you. They have some somebody in like fucking Bangladesh looking at you and being like, "This man is a free spirit." We pants. have the technology. <laughs> we can make yeah. him har- We can make him harem. We can make him low cut. We can. Make him- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so the, apparently, Google controls around ninety percent. 90% of all web searches globally 
Okay, guys. Wow. Um, this would make the this would be the biggest antitrust case in the United States since the 1990s, when the Justice Department joined 20 states to sue Microsoft. I think that was over like hardware stuff, right? I, I, yeah. I don't, um, I don't know that one too well. Um, I would love to learn more about Microsoft. I'm, I think that there was some really weird stuff that Bill Gates did, um, to get Microsoft going. I've just this is all, um. Stuff that is, if I say any more, then I'll probably be subject to a defamation suit from the Gates Foundation. Um, I know that they're active listeners to our lawsuit, to our podcast. Well, yeah. Gates was really good friends with uh, uh, Jeffrey Epstein, and he, he was. And he stole the idea of the mouse uh, from Xerox. God damn it! So those are the two things I know about Bill Gates. Great. He loves style. Jeffrey Epstein, and he loves stealing um, <laughs> tech ideas from Xerox. Do you guys uh do you guys know about his high school, Bill Gates's high school? No. He, he likes, actually uh, <laughs> he's got webcams all over the high school that he. <laughs> well, I actually grew I I grew up probably uh, six miles away from the high school that Bill Gates went to Lakeside, uh -oh. I believe it's called. Oh shit. Um, uh, I've yeah, so I I grew up very close to where he grew up, and uh, Bill Gates when he was growing up in the sixties and seventies, he went to um, this really really well off high school. I, I believe it was called Lakeside, and We're they so had access. I know he had access to one of the first computers ever, like you know, like what? the big big boxy ones, what? you know. Yeah. Uh, so like he he got access to those computers. Um, I think either at Lakeside or by being able to access them uh, through the University of Washington. And this is as like a 15 and 16 year old. And uh, he, you know, in order to access computers and to get time at them, it was like incredibly expensive. It was, it was something that like, it, it, it wasn't like renting a library book. It's like, you have to be part of like some sort of academic uh, institution a tech a technology person to begin with or you had to have like real merit meanwhile he's just a, a high school student who goes to this incredibly prestigious high school who can kind of just like use as many hours at this room sized like computer and not have to pay anything for it and it was that leg up by right. you know, you know uh, who, having access to that, you know I who, imagine this. Yeah, the sign-up sheet for that was just like a bunch of spooks with GS uh, fifteen clearance in the government. Yeah, and him. Yeah, and they were like, "What? We gotta wait." Like they've got they've got to wait and like fill in their name on the clipboard below him to get like <laughs> yeah, log yeah. in their hours. <laughs> do, you, do you guys? You guys know who else? You know who else used uh, their influence to gain access to highly. Uh, difficult to reach things in different high schools. It was Jeffrey Epstein actually did the same thing. So. <laughs> 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 Woo! He was. Really wait, what? What? Think. What did he? Did he teach uh, English? What did that? What did Epstein teach again? Yeah, yeah, he was a high school teacher, right out of, right, and then he became like a, a quote unquote hedge fund manager, which was basically a a, a blackmail money laundering, like a a pedophile <laughs> blackmail money laundering device, which is three words together. You wouldn't. Like you didn't know that you could make those three words together work, but Jeffrey Epstein was able to make those three words together work. And for that, we are all. Yeah. Grateful. He's like the top chef of pedophilia. Um, <laughs> oh yeah. Like this, you guys remember the, uh, this is going to get too, too on the tangent off a tangent, but um, so uh, Europe has apparently been also been attacking uh, Google 
uh, in recent years. Google, uh, Europe actually has a, like the European Union has a pretty good antitrust regime comparatively to the U.S. Like they actually cracked down. Uh, Google Spain just got hit really hard maybe a decade ago or maybe even more uh, for some antitrust violations. And there's just been like, uh, in, in general, Europe has been really harsh on these tech companies and yeah uh so now now i guess the state of texas is it's playing catch up yeah they google spain they uh microsoft tried to buy a piece of fruit at 2 p.m while everybody was taking a siesta and, and spain <laughs> was like this is this is a bridge too far <laughs> my friend you are you are fucking and I trusted. <laughs> I love uh, that. But right this, at- your your entire search engine has to take three hours off in the middle of the day. It's mandated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just <laughs> for every out. for every drink you buy, you get a free Google search at this. We call it Google Spain Tapas. Yeah, no, it's just that they just turn the Google Doodle into a hammock from one to four p.m. <laughs> every day, and then you just there's just nothing. That's just, there's just nothing there. Um, yeah, no, Europe actually has been much, much more harsh on them. Um, so we should absolutely follow their lead. I mean, if I were to conservatively guess, I would still say they're all still moneyed interests that are very much indebted to them, but they're still leagues better than what the United States has actually done. Also, like, antitrust is, like, we are, we are a lefty podcast. We have to, like, remember that, like, antitrust is, like, a, a fundamentally capitalist punishment right they're saying there's not enough competition and we are going to preserve competition within a capitalist system like when you get to a certain point where you have one company that is controlling 90 percent of all search in the world you should start thinking about like nationalizing a company instead of trying to break it up when you have something that is yeah and it's basically operating as a utility this is when the concept around nationalizing an industry or nationalizing a company I think it's a very reasonable conversation, and I think we as leftists should be like always kind of being like, look, antitrust is a nice thing. It seems okay. It's preventing like an excessive accumulation of private capital. But also, let's just fucking nationalize Google, man. Like this just seems like a it's a utility. We, why should we 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 nationalize the railroads? That was pretty good when it worked, right? Yeah. No, I see that logic, and it still lets small businesses. Um continue to flourish like at least the at least choice and diversity because all you're saying is that with google we've got this one billboard that's billboard company that's better than any other billboard company yeah like let's just make the billboards uh part of the common the public right right you know what i you you know what you do you know what you do uh uh say i'm i'm dr anthony google i own google you know i'm very resident uh or resident I'm very hesitant to reticent. I'm very reticent to sell my company. You know what I do? United States. uh, I'm the United States government. I'm going to go. I'm going to buy. We're going to nationalize Google and we're going to buy it from you for one trillion dollars. How about that? How about that? That sounds pretty cool. You get to be the first sale of something for a trillion goddamn smackaroonies. And, you know, if an entrepreneur is by nature an entrepreneur that cannot help but grow and win and grind and succeed then they can start over again in a new industry or start over with a new project. Right. Right. Yeah. Dude, people, I I personally find Jack Dorsey to be very repellent. Um, But after he was ousted from Twitter, 
um, because he was being repellent. Uh, he <laughs> then went on to he then went out to found Square, the fucking the fucking cashless you know card reader companies. Uh, I mean, it's just sort of like if you're working by their logic, just be like, yeah, don't you want to be fucking better than this fucking freak here? Yeah. Come on, dude. We'll let you we'll, we'll innovate. Innovate. We'll, yeah, we'll let you. You know what? We'll let you keep three million dollars, and you yeah. use that small loan of three million dollars to go start your new company. All the connections. You're like you're you're a national hero. You like you can do whatever you want, and with all the connections and fame and popularity, and everyone loves you. Go do that, and we're gonna take over your business because you just won capitalism. Congratulations, and now it's communism. And I think that. <laughs> That's the victory of capitalism is just turning uh, a complete monopoly into a state-run institution and having it be decommodified. It seems – I think they would be happy. I think that the capitalists would love it. I think that they would – everyone wants to – like, you know how, like, when you go to these, like, ridiculous – like, you hear this corporate lingo stuff? Like, everyone is quoting, like, you know, I have a dream that we can all buy Tide cleaner products this Thanksgiving – like they're always quoting Martin Luther King. Mm-hmm. They always want to be aspirational to like a higher good for their like petty, crappy yes. products. It, this would let them do that. This would let them feel like they're a part of something bigger than themselves. And we could like feed into that pseudo public interest and actually make it a real thing. Yeah, everybody gets a big mar. You get a marble bust. Yeah, of you sure. Uh, <laughs> sure. or something. Sure. Yeah. yeah, or like, fuck, dude. Uh, why not? You can, Yeah, dude. We're gonna build another. Uh, we're gonna build another monument next to the Washington Monument, and it's you. It's you. It's you, man. It's great. You did it. Way to <laughs> go, it's you. man. You, you can have a town in New Jersey named after you, right next to Edison. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cranberry <laughs> Edison Zuckerberg. Yeah. Oh, there you go. It even has the word Berg in it. God damn, dude. I'm fucking <laughs> I'm fucking firing on all cylinders right now. Woo! Yeah, <laughs> well, I feel like this is a, a pretty good tie-in mm-hmm. to our 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 film review portion of the show. Film review. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, none but, of us are watching out your movies projectors. in theaters anymore, right? Because uh, you can't really go into one. But we all we all splurged this week and got tickets. Cap- capital. Oh yeah, we saw yes. Capital in the 21st century. Yes, baby. yes. Um, yeah, they actually were doing a fun little thing. I I, I thought it was kind of nice um, on the website. Just for anybody curious, you can go on there and they're like, yeah, you buy a ticket through here, but you can support whatever like theater that you want it to go through. So I I actually picked a nice. Uh, independent theater in Seattle that my ticket money went to. Mm. Um, yeah, I didn't did think Bill the Gates, film did for Bill him. Gates go there when he was a, a little boy? Yeah, he's just counting all the all the individual frames yeah. of uh, <laughs> of film. <laughs> Jurassic Park. That's nah, he's he was already an adult then. Uh, Bill, Bill, yeah, Bill Gates yeah. just went to go see Rosemary's Baby every every day as a kid. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so. He, Anyway, so the movie Capital in the 21st Century is a, a broad film with an E, and it's based on this book by Thomas Piketty, which basically prescribes or just describes and tries to prescribe a solution to the vast global financial structure and in, uh, in you know runaway inequality that is rampant in this country and in Europe and, and the world. Uh, and so he kind of talks. I mean, he starts in the 18th century with these aristocrats. What did you guys think of him starting so early? Like 
before industrialization even happened. I love I love a survey of a uh, of Western Civ, and I like <laughs> oh yeah I like looking at ah. history through <laughs> yeah, uh, the lens of you know you know how like uh, there's always historians that or even books that just ha- obsess over one thing and how history revolves around that one thing like the book Salt is all about the history of salt or cod the history of you know fishing the Atlantic and this yeah. was mm. you know uh, looking at history through a very reductive but a very informative lens of just capital, like money. Where did money exist? Who had it? And how did, how did their possession of it influence uh, the development of civilization? Totally. Yeah, he, he was really, he did, a, he did something that I think uh, a lot of documentarians can all often um, falter, uh, which is sort of like their, their mission statement slash... Um, ah, this is what I'm going to do during this movie. Like at the very beginning of it, uh, he just, he showed like this animation of just sort of like, this is where we start. We are going all the way back from like cars to, you know, trains to, to, to trolleys and, and stuff like that. And, and you see like this animation is showing like the cityscape of New York sort of turning back into planes and then like, oh, now we're in fucking the French Revolution and, you know, this is what the Gilded Age was. Yeah, I mean, look, if you're going to start a doc, if you're going to do a documentary and you got shitty animation, fucking start over, my man. You got to start over. But (laughs) like, that's like, that's like the key to any good documentary. It's like you have to have your graphs in order you know and, and what have you your visual elements but this movie was you know great it did, did a fa- fantastic job with the vil- visual element of it so it was directed by justin pemberton based on this book capital in 21st century by thomas mcketty i tried to read that book when it first came out i was a senior in college and um boys it did not have as good of animation as the movie did i'll just say that <laughs> yeah. well it didn't have a lord soundtrack either you no, know it did not <laughs> Uh, it was. It's about a seemingly a seven hundred page book. Uh, it has a lot of like calculus equations. I shit you not, and it is translated from French. Uh, a lot of thick gravy. Yeah, with a double C, and it was just a. It's a lot. Justin Pemberton did a good job directing it to make it a little bit more palatable for for your boys. Uh, your boys taste, you know. Uh, I thought it was like a pretty good survey, sort of like a beginner's guide to um, thinking about the world from a capital perspective, almost like a Marxist perspective of like how money moves uh, and shapes society. There are a couple. There, yeah, totally. There are a couple cool things that I liked. Was that we they started off in the 18th century and basically they kind of got to this point where they were like, nowadays because of the destruction of the pension system and the uh, basically, all of the boomers are making all their money through passive real estate income, and that's what caused the financial crisis. And then the government basically bailed out all these, you know, asset managers and banks over their overinvestment in real estate, and there were basically zero consequences for it. He was basically bringing it up, seemingly to be like, we're basically back on the 18th century in terms of property ownership. Like we are back to yeah. the inheritance model of capital allocation, wherein the few landed folk have unlimited access to passive income and will inha- will pass that along to their children, and 
there's no there's like protections by the government to ensure that that happens in an orderly way yeah. and meanwhile everyone else is kind of left for scraps yeah, yeah brother if you want to see fucking uh, some good pictures of chandeliers in this movie, you have come to the right. You've come to the right place. And it was it was so good. I think that was the strongest point of it. Like the I, essentially the the whole thesis statement of this movie is like we have been here before. Like there was mm. a, a a period in time where things were so uh luxurious for such a small group of people and what have you and like he starts it off being like yeah dude this is the french revolution and spoiler alert some people got their heads chopped the fuck off and then like you know and then it just slowly kind of get builds and builds and builds and builds and builds through modern industrialization through the 20th beginning of the 20th century all that stuff you know the world wars and finally gets to this point where it's like uh oh (laughs) we're doing what we did in 1780 again that sounds pretty bad (laughs) so yeah Yeah. i mean to to add on to kind of like what you're saying danny is like that we see the the uh the shifting of money not the redistribution of money uh to lower classes uh trickling down let's say but the shifting of money from the landed elite during the French Revolution more to bankers becoming uh, more affluent. So just sort of creating a, mm-hmm. another class of elite. Yes. The bankers who had the money. And then the bankers were able to then give the money back to the landed elite who became the first industrialists. Right? Because they, yeah. they were able to actually use their land, the resources on their land, to produce things. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, and then that working class that they created was the impetus for, or the incentive for colonization. So like colonization as uh, for the lower classes, just trying to leave the unbearable uh, oppression of being the proletariat in Europe. And so they all went to the new worlds looking for a more egalitarian society, but they were doing it in a laissez-faire way. Yep. And the the myth is that you can we can all show up to a blank slate place and uh and have a a level playing field where we're all re- starting the race on on the same footing yeah or but you the have problem a chance, was it's like yeah. yeah you don't have a chance though because the wealthy people are also on those boats yeah yeah <laughs> yeah it was uh it was really it was very interesting to get that perspective because i think in obviously in the back of my mind i was like yeah it wasn't fair but to hear somebody be like no 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 no, you don't understand the people just getting away from this whole thing by virtue of being able to travel to a brand new world which spoiler alert again was already inhabited by native americans right. you know that's right, that's right. Uh, like i mean it's, it's yeah, what like, it kind of reminds me of it's not that like the people who settled the new world were unwashed and most destitute when they first were colonizing these places i mean there was obviously big waves of immigration in the united states that where there was some real like poverty entering the country in a good way yeah but, like, yeah yeah but there were but a lot of the original settlers were people who like their parents were rich and they were but they were from like cambridge and they moved to london and like all the cool jobs were taken by all the kids who were from london and so they couldn't get that one internship at the bank of england like they wanted to and so they just kind of got they just didn't get that role and so that way they're never going to become the mp of 
of Cambridge like they wanted to because they didn't get that. You know, like yeah. it's just it's just like the person who's just like one half rung below the upper per upper like the highest ranking person in the in the society of London, and that person's just like you know what, man, just fuck all this. This this town is over. Cambridge is over. I'm moving to <laughs> I'm I'm moving to Toronto, baby. Like that's real. That's where the new opportunity is. That's where the new democracy is. You know. Well, a, lo- yeah. a lot of those colonies. Uh, I know, growing up in like uh, D.C. around Virginia and Maryland, that area was called the Tidewater area during colonial times, and it was hmm. uh, very hierarchical. Um, l- slavery was legal, uh, but it wasn't like Barbadian slavery, like the sort of the more industrial slavery of the deeper south yeah. it was the the people who colonized that area were the second and third sons of yeah uh, that's what i'm talking about that's what i'm talking about man oh. yeah. you know so second they they weird. wanted to replicate the aristocratic lifestyle that they had back in europe um but without the first son you know so it was like all right well maybe we'll get a shot here to be the the big dogs Oh, so you got some fucking loser out in Fairfax, just like I'm gonna be, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be the fucking king. Yeah, <laughs> I mean it's gross. like it's like uh, you, your, your, your older brother, like took over the family's small law firm, uh, you know, boutique law firm in Tulsa, Oklahoma. But you're young, you're the younger brother, and you're kind of the cooler guy. So like, you're moving to L.A. to become a DJ. That is kind of like the same format for these people, right? Kind of a is is that is that what you're kind of thinking of, Gabe? Yeah, yeah. And then all I mean, they had a really high mortality rate too. Uh, these colonies, because you would have these very affluent people uh, coming to uh, the new world, but they also just didn't know how to do anything. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> whereas, uh, like the I don't know, up north in Massachusetts, they the hardier stock of people. Uh, more families were coming mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and uh, they were, they were just more able to sort of the family unit was its own factory yeah. where you, where everybody within the family kind of did a different thing to sort of sustain growth. Well, it's just this toxic sure. masculinity. It was just these boys who were like, I can't, I can do anything. <laughs> I don't, I don't need a lady to do this. But like clearly Massachusetts was doing great because there was a whole family. There were kids. There was the wives who were running shit, and then the guys were like, "I, I can, I can do this." <laughs> the guys in Virginia are just like, "I can do tobacco and create a civilization and have kids. I can fuck this tobacco leaf and make a family out of it." Like there's <laughs> right, no- like the Roanoke settlement, all like the all the settlements in uh, Virginia. Just like <laughs> every year, there'd be like a new wave of fail sons that would just like die off over the winter <laughs> <laughs> until they figured Beam- out tobacco. Yeah, the 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 progression of the movie, uh, um, a part that I found, I guess, for lack of a better word, like moving was when they kind of cross over into the 20th century and they start to get into like the World War One era. Is that yeah. is that a far farther ahead from where you were thinking or before that? Totally. No, I mean, it's cool to just jump into that, like World War One being seen as yeah. uh, as just a fight over money. Yep. And I, I like these ideas of. You know, look at reducing wars to, uh, you know, forget the ideology behind them, forget the nationalism. What is the what are the wars really fought over? Right. Because even if they are fought over culture or identity or nationalism, that you still need money to um, to arm a country. 
Those things are always those things are usually like red herrings for like underlying economic issues and like rivalries between capitalist powers. Like right, like like there's they from what I understand, Germany wanted a piece of the colonial pie, and that's what capital of the twenty first century was trying to say. It was like Germany wanted yeah. territory, and they couldn't get territory because England and France had already gotten a lot of it, and also there were labor protests everywhere in the united states in britain in germany over these new industrial um sort of lifestyles and they're calling for like workers rights and things and women were uh coming up and out and trying to uh, get equal representation uh and the war and blaming the other and resorting to nationalism is a really good distraction from a to like stopping a labor protest yeah from getting yeah. the guillotines out yeah, yeah, it's it's not. Yeah, yeah. it was really. I mean, it, I I I found that portion of the movie to be particularly particularly just harrowing. How there, it's like all this economic strife and what have you. You know, the end result is sort of them sort of laundering in Nazism essentially at some point, and even before then, when they're they even had the economists being like, "Oh, World War One, we all just thought it is like we were going to solve this with a good fight, you know." And meanwhile, uh, people who were fighting this war had never uh, experienced what it felt like to get fucking mowed down by a, a machine guns for right. the first time in human history, and just like what that did o- over over like you know these economic issues that creates this intense nationalism primarily in like Austria and Germany, you know, with the intense inflation that they felt, which brings in, you know, the rise of the Nazi party. And then this, this other huge conflict being world war two. And then, and then the movie just sort of like, it just sort of shifts and, and, and then it starts to describe the part of history that, you know, like my parents and your guys' parents probably were born into, you know, my parents, uh, my parents are 38. (laughs) <laughs> but it, it it is it is crazy to just uh the way they visualized it was so i think so perfect it was very it felt very manic almost the way they're just sort of like people were able to get homes people were able to buy cars it was great the 50s and 60s were fucking awesome you could have a pension it was all these things and they were I, all so tight and all of it i feel like is real it's important to stress is I feel like during so much of the early and mid 21st century up until really the 70s was there was just a huge fear of communism coming to these Western capitalist countries. And so they had to create some sort of social safety net in order to assuage the masses. Right. Like you have. Yeah. You have to stop the appeal of communism. So you have to create social democracy as a viable alternative. Uh, yeah and also we we also like exactly um i don't know like if russia communist russia wasn't really that big a deal until uh we saw them actually win world war ii yeah by taking berlin (laughs) yeah Yeah. and at that moment um you know we had to have a marshall plan to help prop up uh japan and the part of germany that we held Mm-hmm. So yeah. we're we're not only were we helping uh, create a, a middle class here in the United States, but we propped up a capitalist middle class everywhere else that we we held power. And that was interesting to me was in the movie they really described the '70s in a, an original way uh, for two reasons. 
one, they started describing the ascent of globalization, particularly in the automotive sector with Germany and Japan. And they and uh, the directors and Piketty kind of talk about how this was the first decade where America no longer felt like the the lonely giant of Amer- of global capitalism. And all of a sudden, you have German cars and Japanese cars coming into the United States and outperforming American cars. And that was one of the first instances where America felt like it was running behind and it, it wasn't doing as well. And so Re- yeah. Reagan was able to harness that in part. And the second thing that was contributing to that was this oil crisis, which started, which I never knew. I never even knew that the oil crisis started this way. It started because all the Gulf and Middle Eastern oil-producing nations decided to jack up the price of oil until Israel left the Palestinian territories. And until it, 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 was, it was a political move against Israel. I never, I never knew that. I, I just thought that there was some weird economic thing that happened. But it, this was a, a, conspi- a, a corporate state conspiracy in order to retaliate against the state of Israel. And, and that's what led to this insane um, oil spikes. And this was this, another instance when America felt, holy crap, there are other economies that can beat us, that can exert yeah. themselves <laughs> yeah. over us. It was it was fascinating. Yeah. I, I I just um I, yeah. I thought it was interesting that uh, throughout human history we really haven't had a vibrant middle class, and we haven't had like the idea of the middle class, the myth from the fifties and sixties that has been sort of uh, pushed on us by mass media. Yeah, is such a blip. It's so not so normal. fast. So mm-hmm. quick, mm-hmm. just like it, it, like when did the middle class exist between 1949 and maybe 1963, and then just gone, you know. And, and yeah. the amnesia that we have, you know, it, it is our collective amnesia as to how bad the conditions to life were before that. That the one generation, that the boomers that grew up in that, were able to are 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 so responsible for dismantling the state that allowed them yep. the greatest prosperity they've ever that any humans have ever had. Yep. Yeah. Meanwhile, you've got like your great grandfather who's 90 years old uh, and they're like, Oh, uh, granddaddy, were things great in 1917 for you too? And he's just sort of like, well, actually I drove across the country in a car that sounded like a cartoon with grandma strapped at the top. Just like <laughs> if, if the horse carcasses were still fresh, yeah. we didn't need to put that much salt and pepper on them to eat it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, also, I would also say quick side note, this movie was great because for one goddamn time, when somebody was describing the 1960s and seventies, they didn't just put like in the soundtrack, just like, it ain't me. It ain't me. Hey, people, what's that sound? Everybody, what's that sound? For once, Steven Soderbergh Soderberg is like in the room, just like, come on, let me do it. Come on, let me do it. Anything. Get out of here, Steven. Get out of here. But there was a. Okay, so that happened the 60s, 70s. The 70s move, I thought they covered very well. And it, it was a really 
hard to understand era of American capitalism. And it's just very confusing. And you just kind of are like, where the hell were we in 1970 versus 1980 economically is so confusing that we had Nixon who was creating the Environmental Protection Agency. Uh, he was floating a universal basic income at one point and, um, and cheating in elections, of course, his, his most prosperous yeah. economic project. But besides that, he... Um, and then a decade later, you have Reagan, who is busting up union strikes. And for the first time, that becomes a palatable thing for the middle class to experience. And that, that, that was fascinating to me. It was just like, this is M Maggie Thatcher and Ronald Reagan basically fired, like Ronald Reagan fired thousands of TSA workers live on national That's right. television. And he, and, and he got no pushback from it at all. There was basically no real issues with it. And that was partially in response to the oil crisis because when Oil prices went up. The unions wanted more money because prices were up, but they couldn't really afford it. Uh, and so there was just this thing called stagflation, right? So there was hyperinflation and there was a stagnant economy. And people were just so mad about inflation that they were like, you know what? Let's just dismantle the entire social <laughs> democracy that we've created over the past 40 years that's created this egalitarian utopia. And they just abandoned the whole thing because inflation is going up and oil prices are high and Jimmy Carter wants to have solar cars like the, I don't know. Well, wait, this is part of the movie. Maybe it's just a little bit before it where they start talking about how they're like, all of a sudden it gets to the point where employing people making things, doing stuff costs more than just making your money do other money stuff. Yep. Like, and then they they start talking about financialization yep. and what that means. And then this is like a very it's very poignant because you're just like, holy shit, they were talking about this earlier in the documentary. It's so bad. <laughs> you know? <laughs> it's very dramatic. It, it was very dramatic to me just watching that. We also see a rise of uh transnational, maybe companies are perceived as more transnational as opposed right. to just fitting within the boundaries of one nation. And maybe that's to compete with the fact that Japan and Germany are, now have more robust corporations of their own. Enemies of World War II, mm -hmm. by the way, which I thought was interesting to point out. Yeah. And I remember, you know, my grandpa and grandma, they had a, my, they, they had a Mercedes. And I always mm -hmm. thought that was funny because my grandpa fought like he was in a mash unit in World War II Whoa. fighting Germans. Mm -hmm. <laughs> or rather, you know, patching up people who had been fighting Germans. But uh, so, the, and then they also had a resentment towards Japanese cars mm -hmm. and uh, Japanese yeah. cameras. So I remember my grandparents, like I was born in the early, like I, I was conscious, sentient in the early 80s. So to have my grandparents uh, paranoid or resentful of Japanese companies encroaching on American markets. My my grandparents um, didn't buy their first German product until 1965. So for they and they were both born German. Wow. They were they were both born. Both my grandparents were born in Germany, um, and that was because my my grandfather uh, he fell off a guard tower while he was guarding 
as as a Nazi, and he resented them ever since because he didn't get enough workers' comp just guarding this. What? This. Yeah, yeah. My my grandfather was a Nazi guard in. Um, I'm just kidding. Nah, they're Jews. They're, 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 say like, <laughs> say like, like what, <laughs> what a harrowing on air confession. <laughs> nah, <laughs> nah, nah, just, da- nah, for, nah. Da- J- David's Jewish as hell. He's Jewish <laughs> as hell, man. man. <laughs> J.K. Law. Uh, uh, but yeah, yeah, it, it was a real thing. There was this real sense of global globalization. Really seemed to uh, seem to be this kind of impetus for financialization kind of the breakup of the labor movements all of a sudden you're not treating a company's uh workers prosperity as a prerogative of the company the prerogative yeah. of the company is to make money and that was a real change and you see that in corporate culture that has changed in theory actually since last year there was this very influential letter that came out in the financial sector that said that profits are no longer the sole prerogative of businesses. And these were like leaders from cap titans of global industry wrote this letter and it was on the front page of the New York times, uh, maybe last August or September. And it was kind of saying like, we were, we hereby rebuke, um, this sort of freedman economic structure where that says that profits are the only thing that matter. All, you know, workers, environmental factors, global factors, things like that. It was, and it was the first yeah. time that it, it was so, uh, but I mean, who knows, man, that may have just been lip service. Like it, it, that goes back to all the sort of questions about like wh- how, how woke are businesses, <laughs> you know, like, well, how, <laughs> how can you create a metric or a rubric that takes into account human capital, you know, mm, uh, yeah. rather than, I, I just think of it as like, you know, watching the wire, like Marlowe is the, uh, is the final evolution of, of capitalism, like where you're streamlined and you're like, all we're thinking about is the profit. Mm. How do you go back to p- putting a heart, having a company with a heart? Damn. That's it. Damn. It gets, it gets not, not only is it is the, the movie cyclical, but the entire conversation is cyclical. Cause we start out from a plate where it's like, we're at a place where it's just sort of like, well, how do we get people to like, how do we disincentivize this system where only profits are basically uh, incentivized? And it's just like, I don't know, man, maybe if you're a football player investing in hamburgers, you should really like hamburgers. <laughs> <laughs> like, you should maybe like the thing. It's like, you can't, you can't just care about profit. If you own if you own a bike company, you should probably be invested spiritually in bicycles in some way. Yeah. If you own a car company, you should probably like you should probably like to fucking rip ass down a highway in some way. You have to have some sort of yeah. emotional connection to it. Totally. Well, I think the movie does uh like I we we could wrap this up pretty soon. I but I think the movie gets to this point where uh, one of the biggest problems is how we tax these companies. We're yeah. not taxing the companies enough mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. create the revenue we need for a safety net. Yeah, so the, and, this is the solution part right here. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't know if any of these things would work because I'm not a finance guy, but I like the idea that if uh, Google's revenue, if if 10% of Google's revenue is in Spain or profits and uh, 5% are in France, 
and 60% are in the U.S., then each company mm-hmm. can tax that percentage. I think it was, an, it was a really novel idea. The other one that I saw that was being floated uh, from this book, though the movie didn't really seem to address it, was a global wealth tax, essentially. Like, this is where Warren and Bernie and et cetera, et cetera, came up with the idea for the wealth tax was from reading uh, Capital in the 21st Century, the book. Nice. Mm. Yeah. So that was another kind of thing that they, basically the whole idea is to end um, offshore tax havens, right? My solution is this. You eliminate incorporation as the place of taxation. Okay, so incorporation, we've talked about this in other places, is Delaware, right? So Delaware, that's where you you incorporate your corporation. That gives you limited liability, and that also means that you pay Delaware taxes instead of paying yeah. California taxes because even... So basically, the whole idea would be kind of similar to the one that the economists say, which is that... But um, the whole thing is that the reason why there's all these tax shelters is because... Google will just move its, you know, headquarters to the Cayman Islands or to Ireland or Barbados or wherever. Instead, basically, you just change the law to say you will pay corporate taxes based on where your primary place of business is. End of story. Yeah. It does not matter. Like the you will just pay the taxes of the biggest market that you do business in. And you can have your headquarters in Barbados, but if your biggest, yeah, yeah, just wherever you do the most business would be kind of it. Um, I don't know. It's kind of similar to what they were saying. I guess their idea is kind of cle- is is probably more clever than mine. Um, I like that they yeah. had a time limit too on uh, companies. Mm. So I think it was on companies or uh, property. So you you have a specific, you know, I don't know, I don't know exactly how that would work, but like almost like copyright. Yeah, it should end after a while. Yeah, yeah. like the, <laughs> you can't just have uh, possess something in perpetuity. Certainly, like uh, that's something that like a company like Disney, for example, is like very much capitalized. Where they're just sort of like they were incorporated so long ago that like a couple of years ago, the the problem of like Mickey Mouse turning into uh, uh, Creative Commons, you know, came into 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 light and then they're just sort of like no 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 you will not get to be having fun with mickey without paying us (laughs) as an aside you guys have to read this article in the new york times i'll give you my new york times account if you need it there is uh, about the wolf porn fanfic and intellectual property issues around it all of you guys everyone who's listening needs to stop listening to this podcast right now and go go read this article. It is the craziest shit. It is about wolf erotica fanfic and copyright issues in it. It's the crazy. It's it, it's beautiful. Um, and it does talk about issues of like someone holding onto property for too long when stuff should be in the in the public commons. Like um, wolf sex in the com- wolf community is a very particular thing, and someone was trying to copyright how wolves have sex. And be the sole author in being able to use uh. how wolves biologically <laughs> have sex in all their fanfic. And that I think is messed up. And we need to nationalize and make free to the public good uh the the right of wolf sex character, you know, 
descriptions in in these fanfics. In the same way, in the exact same way, and I believe it. That's my that's my. And that and, and that and that was the the point of capital in the twenty first century. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, overall, overall, I would say I very much enjoyed this movie. It was a very beautiful movie. I thought visually, and I. I would I would highly recommend anybody in quarantine and what have you t- uh, watching it. Um, and also, as a side note, you know, um, you know, we all watched Michael Moore's produced movie a couple weeks ago, and we talked about it with Kate last week yeah. about how it's an incredibly dismal movie. <laughs> how that so is, it is it, it's incredibly dismal. It is incredibly uh, it is at this point outdated and. It's very. It, it was very much kind of made with a sort of false premise in mind, um, but somehow the capital in the twenty first century, it was like oddly uplifting. Like it's the they they were they very effortlessly sort of swept it in a positive light by the end of the movie, which is just so much more you know effective than showing an orangutan dying. Essentially, which oh, is that what, was so the, sad at the end. Oh my god, that was so fucking sad. Oh, I mean, I fuck. I get what you're doing, but god damn it, you know. Uh, yeah. I mean, you got to put some pictures of yachts in a movie to like <laughs> lift my spirits, and I want some Lord in the soundtrack. I want to feel royal. Yeah, so. it, it it was good. It was good. I'd recommend it for anybody. And uh, like I said, right now, if you go on like Kino's website, you can watch it. Uh, you know, kind of in the same way that like other new releases are being watched, and you can even donate your uh, portion of your sales to whatever independent uh, film cinema it would nor- normally go to. So you kind of have a bit of agency if you if you want to be a consumer like it. So in, in that way, if you want to have a consumer wh- choice. What one last thing on this, and um, I think it's important to note is that at the end. Uh, Nowadays, I think some people are paying attention. You know, we have people like Jamie Dimon saying that he wants the new, the post-coronavirus economy to be more egalitarian, and um, that is maybe an inspiring thing to say for probably the least inspiring person on planet Earth. Yeah, we need to do a whole episode <laughs> on this creep. This is going to be Dude, something that we yeah. talk about more. This, but it, it, yeah, like he must have seen the movie recently, I guess. Uh huh. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. He was, he was, uh, he what when he wasn't busy being the CEO of, of fucking J.P. Morgan and uh, getting tapped to be Joe Biden's uh, Secretary of Commerce or whatever or of the Treasury. He he watched this and like a child who just watched Man on Wire for the first time was just like, <laughs> oh my. Oh my God! I'm so inspired. <laughs> uh, yeah, dude. Of all, yeah. of all the movies that you could have chosen for that joke, that was dude. That was the one. Dude, <laughs> that Still was seen ba- it. <laughs> dude. That it was based on a real thing because I remember when I was in college. Uh, yeah. Man on that's when Man on Wire came out. That's right. And I remember that's I was right. taking. I I was I came out with. Uh, I, I watched it during like a senior thesis film class or whatever. And I remember it was a specific class that was being taught by this guy who actually worked for Oregon public broadcasting. And I fucking hated him. And he was a, te- he was not a teacher. He was a guy who worked at OPB and he sucked. 
Uh, and he was just sort of like, man, wasn't that a good movie? And I'm like, you're supposed to be teaching us, you fucking piece of shit. And like, all you did was watch Man on Wire. Why the fuck am I paying thousands of dollars for this? It sucks. <laughs> well, guys, this has been Ponzi Scream. <laughs> fuck that guy. <laughs> <laughs> fuck that guy. Yeah, we like to end I on hope- a rant, as always. Um, fuck that guy. I can't even remember his name. I think it was Steve. Yeah, fuck I hate Steve. that fucking guy. Uh, every- <laughs> uh, yeah, that, 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 I don't know. That, is there else anything to say? Uh, fuck that shit. Uh, cool, man. Peace. Uh, good night. Good night, guys. I'm Gabe Pacheco. Uh, Talk to you later. David Bradley Eisenberg. Danny. Bye-bye. Danny Feltz. Bye. Bye. I'll see you later. <laughs>